Welcome to the TEFL Training Institute podcast, the bite-sized TEFL podcast for teachers, trainers, and managers. Hi everyone, welcome back to the TEFL Training Institute podcast. I'm Ross Thorburn, and this week our guest is Mario Rimvalukri, and I'm going to be asking Mario about humanistic vocabulary teaching. All this comes from an article that Mario wrote, I think way back in the early 1980s, about some of the problems in vocabulary teaching. So here's a little quote. Mario says, In my experience, most of the vocabulary teaching that gets done is based on texts, be they written, audio, or video. The problem with this kind of text-based teaching is that everything is external to the learner. The text hits him or her from the outside. He goes on to say, it makes much better motivational sense to have new words rise from a situation that is internal to the students, where they create a situation that ushers in the need for new words. So in this episode, I asked Mario about basically how to do that in class, how to make vocabulary teaching internal to the student. Mario, if you're not familiar with him, is a teacher and a teacher trainer at Pilgrims in Canterbury in the UK. And he's also an author of dozens and dozens of wonderful teacher's books like Grammar Games, Once Upon a Time, Using Stories in the Language Classroom, Humanizing Your Course Book, and Vocabulary. So I'm going to think of a few people better placed to talk about this subject than Mario. I hope you enjoy the interview. Hello, Ross. Hi, Mario. Thanks for joining us. Okay. Mario, how do you want to start today? I'd like to start off with a little kind of exercise, which I would do if I was working with a group, and do it with you. Can you see these utensils? Yes, I can. Spoon and a fork. Uh, Which which would you prefer to be? I'll be the spoon, please, Mario. (laughs) You prefer to be a spoon? Okay. Uh, Now, in a group, of course, different people would make their different decisions and then would pair off with other people. We're we're a forced pair. Uh, So I'm going to be a fork. Um, Yes, as a fork. I think of you as a bit passive. (laughs) I actually hold the meat in place, which my owner can use with his left hand holding, and then he can cut and cut and cut, etc., etc., well, I suppose this is true, but I, I think as a spoon, we're kind of more flexible than forks, aren't we? In that, you know, you can use this with soup. That's true. I do think of myself as being overly choleric and aggressive as a fork. And I realize that that can be a good thing, as I suggested at the beginning, but it can also be a defect. You are inevitably condemned to a fairly aggressive, angry role, while a spoon is, is quite different. And uh, the other thing I think about you guys is that you spoons are completely universal. Well, I wouldn't say completely universal, but I think we definitely exist, at least in my experience in Asia, as well as Europe and in North America. But don't don't beat yourself up too bad about being aggressive. I mean, at least you're not you're not a knife, are you? That would be really the most aggressive role, wouldn't it? Yes, of course. Uh, and I didn't choose a knife for that reason, because it's automatically aggressive, and therefore there's much less choice for people to do the role play. I just wanted to start off with that exercise, which comes from the work of Bernard Dufeu, the creator of linguistic psychodramaturgy. I'm sorry for that horrible long title that he gives it in French. It uses uh, drama methods, but with the aim of teaching language and not with the aim of making you a better person or less lunatic. 
this exercise, if it works reasonably well and takes off, ought to allow you sitting in the middle of a row, of which there will be maybe 10, uh, to reach five or six different interlocutors and see yourself um, and the other people from different angles. But what I wanted to do is to introduce at the very beginning the idea of imaginative role play. And it, hopefully it may be something which is new to you. So it has freshness. One of the problems of second language teaching is that we have to do again what we've already mastered brilliantly in one language, our mother tongue. So you're saying there, Mary, that you don't always want what students do in the L2 to be what they can already do in their L1? Absolutely not. Of course, also to do what they do in their first language, but also to have a fresh aspect to the learning, fresh in terms of content and feeling. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, obviously one of the the points of an exercise like this is that the students have a need for vocabulary. As a teacher then, what, what are you doing while the students are doing this activity? Are you going around and correcting errors? Are you writing useful words on the board? Or how are you really using this as an opportunity to help the students develop their, their vocabulary? They will obviously need all sorts of vocabulary they don't have. And this is a marvellous time for trying to teach them that. So what I do do in those situations is I ask them to put a little bit, piece of paper on the table in front of them. And it either says, piss off, or it says, come when I call you, or it says, you are free to look over my shoulder. And it's very interesting when you do that with a class you would teach on a permanent basis, that it's not always the same people who say piss off. It depends on mood. It depends on the task. It's saying to, to, to the, especially to teenage students, listen, guys, uh, you know what you need. I'm not God. I can't see into your head whether you want to be helped this morning or not. So just tell me. And if they halfway through decide to change what's on their label, that's fine too. So, Mario, that previous exercise you mentioned was from Bernard Dufault. Do, do you have any other examples uh, in a similar vein that you think help with students' vocabulary development? An exercise that he does a lot at the beginning of a, especially working with a big group, is what he calls an, a group mirroring exercise. <laughs> I can try to do this with you. Uh, Est-ce que vous parlez français? Je ne comprends pas. Je vais vous parler d'une rose. I'm going to talk to you about a rose. And you, all the big group of you who are sitting there at the other side of the world, I would like you to simply follow my voice and say the same things. Okay, if you're listening, you can join in. Une rose. Une rose. Une rose. Une rose. Oh, une belle rose. Oh, une belle rose. Ah, cette rose est merveilleuse. Ah, cette rose, une belle rose. Elle est épatante. Épatante. Ah, quelle belle rose. Quelle belle rose. Quelle belle rose. Quelle belle rose. Je veux la cueillir. Cueillir, that means to pick. Je veux la cueillir. Je veux la cueillir. Aïe! Aïe! Oh, ça oh. me fait mal! Je me fais mal! Ça me fait mal! It's hurting me. Ça me fait très mal. Très mal. Oh, du sang. Du sang. Du sang. Du sang. Oh, etc. Okay. <laughs> We could go on. It's a, it's a bit artificial with just one very bright human being. It's much easier to do with the whole group. What I'm doing here is difficult. I'm concentrating on you and the difficulties you have or don't have. And I'm also concentrating on the rose. 
So, so for people obviously who can't see you, you're really sort of demonstrating the meaning through the actions here, aren't you? Of course, through the action. I want you to know what you're doing. I want you to feel my pain in my finger because otherwise it doesn't work linguistically. It has to work imaginatively before it works linguistically. If it had been fully convincing to you, you would have disappeared into that dream of getting it pretty right. You already were getting it pretty right, but had you had people around you getting it righter, you know which people in your group have good pronunciation as a student. So I guess the students are learning from each other as well as from the, the monologue the, the teacher's giving. Absolutely, yes. But you can make a monologue into a dialogue if you so want. You can go one side and then the other. So Mario, I wanted to ask you, how do you think teachers can combine some of these humanistic ideas for teaching vocabulary with using a course book, where obviously a lot of the language is already set for the teachers by the person that wrote the book? Well, um, I brought along, I, I thought I might need to refresh my own memory of things. So I brought along a book which is called Humanizing Your Course Book. The concept came to me uh, when I was wandering through a northern Italian town with a colleague, uh, an Italian teacher, and she said, Mari, I've got a problem. I'm teaching the, from a Longman book, and I know that the listenings are good for my students. I know that sometimes they're not making mistakes I make because of listening to proper English. So I'm totally in favor of the course book I'm using. But listen... <sighs> I've been through this book four times now, and I know the teacher's book better probably than the author's, and I'm bored. What can I do? And I say, well, I don't know what you can do, because you obviously respect the texts, you respect the presentation of grammar, you respect the phonological part. You're happy with it for them. But for them, it's first time, except for the ones who who have to do the year again who are a minority. So I then said, well, would it help if a methodology person had a look at what the authors of the course book have presented to you and offered alternative ways um, of working that course material? And she said, that would be really helpful. So backed by her enthusiasm, I went to Longman and said, would you like me to write an alternative teacher's guide? being very careful to acknowledge that you must use this book as the authors propose first. But if you come to the third time through, how about looking at humanizing your course book, which is what, what that was the substantiation of that idea. Longman told me to piss off in definite terms. I then asked to do exactly that by a German publisher called Klett. And there um, I had Green Line, which was their course book, and I simply went through and thought, well, what humanistic ideas could be filtered through without being too shocking for teachers? Because Gymnasiallehrer in Germany are pretty conservative. If you're not very careful, exercises like spoon and fork will be dismissed as crutch, which means utter rubbish. So basically, uh, can I just look through to the section on reading? Of course. Sure. And simply read you... Uh, and, and they're very short, these rubrics. This is called collective picture, preparation. Select a set of concrete nouns and verbs from the first three units of the course book. 
So going back to revise not last week's work, but six months ago's work, because a revision can't only be of yesterday's stuff. Write about 30 of these words on slips of paper. Hand out one slip of paper to each student. I'm thinking of classes of 30 here, okay? Explain that you are going to ask the class to draw a collective picture on the board. Ask each student to come to the board and draw the word from their slip of paper. The idea is to get all the items into a coherent picture. The picture for a verb will be the picture for the verb happening. Uh, do the exercise without speaking. Don't intervene. Let the students produce the collective picture they want. Then ask the class to name all the things in the picture and their parts. So roots, for example, or leaves or whatever. Get students to write the words in. Individually, the students copy the drawing and the words. Yeah, so good to hear of an exercise that really lets students review what they've already done, but not just maybe from last week, but maybe from the last two or three units of the book. And I guess also you could do the opposite as well, that, and look forward to things that are going to happen in future chapters of the book. I think so often we get obsessed with like meeting the aim of this lesson rather than helping students consolidate and move things into their long-term memory that, that they've already covered in class. You want to visit a country, and the course book is the country. Well, if it's six weeks ago you went to Edinburgh, then it's quite reasonable to ask you to go back to Edinburgh in your head and be in that area of the country. So instead of thinking of a lot of teachers think about now in the course book work, tomorrow in the course book work, and yesterday in the course book work. But no, why don't you do an exercise which foresees something which will come up later? Who told you you have to use them in order? So once again, everyone, that was Mario Rinvalucri. If you enjoyed that, check out the following books by Mario. Vocabulary, co-written with John Morgan, and the book that Mario was talking about, Humanizing Your Course Book. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time. Goodbye. For more podcasts, videos, and blogs, visit our website, www.tefotraininginstitute.com. If you've got a question or a topic you'd like us to discuss, leave us a comment. And if you want to keep up to date with our latest content, add us on WeChat at Tefo Training Institute. If you enjoy our podcast, please rate us on iTunes.